Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's good. We're back for another week. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's it's good. Summer is, is burning away here quickly. It's burning away really quickly for us. You're actually heading over to Italy for Mountain Bike World Championships as very, one of the technical coaches for Canada. So very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Sort of last minute and somewhat unexpected, but uh, very good. Yeah, very excited for that. And uh yeah, new. Nice to be saying that we're going somewhere. Uh, but, it's true, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's exciting. So I'm doing that. And it's perfectly timed because we actually, we've been thinking about this a lot. We've been really, you know, talking a lot about what goes into a, a good, strong marriage. And I think we've, we've come to the secret to a, a really good, strong marriage. And that is to never be in the same country for your anniversary. Yeah, this is very beta, so don't take our words on this. But once we get up into, you know, the 20s, the 30-year anniversaries there, if, if this is still going strong, this will be what we'll tell, you know, the young couples, you know, this is what you need to know about marriage. Just don't be in the same country. Even same time zones, a little suspect, but like it works occasionally. Right. But yeah, we're, we're going it apart. On, it's like a vacation. Going on five years here and we have yet to be in the same country for our anniversary. So that's uh, that's pretty impressive with two years being in pandemic years. So yeah, go team, I guess. Yep. Yeah, we had some, some obstacles there. So there you go. Take that or leave that as far as advice, but uh yeah, yeah, there, there y- we are. Your mileage may vary, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. Otherwise, it's you know been a, a busyish week where I'm finally back up in my mileage. I I did have a, a little bit of time off to do some recovery from okay. more dental yeah. stuff, but that's that's a podcast yeah. for another time. Okay. Well, Dan John always says you should be flossing. He's a big flossing. Well, Although you, you think know that what? flossing got you into trouble? I think which that is got me into trouble. Like anything, there's a polarized uh, set of groups you. there that uh, some like flossing, some don't. We're getting Dan John back on the podcast so he and I okay. can have some some very important okay. discussions. Flossing and uh, flossing and zombies. Zombies, yeah. It's the apocalypse and how you survive. Okay. Very excited for that. Well, if there's more questions for Dan John, you can submit those, I guess, and we'll have a, a full episode for him. Uh, what else do we have? Any good posts recently? Uh, yeah, we're, we're talking about your favorite fashion accessory, the sun sleeve. I, oh, I saw that. You know what? I spoke to a heat and exercise researcher last week and apropos of nothing, I did not goad him into this. I was like, how should people dress to, you know, avoid like, issues from heat in the sun? And he's like, sun sleeves, that's your move. So... Hmm. Just related more to the, like, not getting sunburned? Uh, yeah, for, like, both exposure, but he also finds there's a there's a tipping point where they stop being efficacious, but especially for shorter rides, uh, the ability to, even if you can wet them down, mm. uh, it actually is fantastic. I, I really like them because I can wipe my sweat with them. Uh, yeah. So that's part of the reason I like them. I also, I was telling, we were riding with the provincial athletes where I sort of grew up riding, and there's a lot of raspberry canes. Uh, which are very sharp if you haven't ridden through raspberry canes. It's unpleasant. So my elbow, you know, joint there would always get like scraped. And so I was, I'm just going to wear arm warmers all the time. So I used to wear just normal arm warmers. Uh, Sounds really sweaty. Yeah. 
Yeah. So then when they came out, they're great. And so now I wear white arm warmers all the time, which is horrible because I'm very poor at laundry and uh, this is true. also bleed and get dirty all the time. Yep, but, yep. Uh, so we keep a steady stock of those coming in. We just yep. put in a fresh order. I don't know if that motivated this article, did it? It did not, actually. Oh. You put it in after. Okay. Uh, but speaking of that, we did link to a couple of our favorite pairs, both for Canadian and U.S. orders. So check that out over at consummateathlete.com. Great. Uh, I also talked about, uh, just really quickly, I'm a total dummy. And I've, you know, for years, I don't use protein powder necessarily after every workout. But, you know, sometimes in a pinch, you're just trying to get, you know, a couple, gain a couple hours before you can get home and have a meal. So we usually have protein powder on us. And I would just like dump the scoop into just my water bottle and just try to shake it up. And, you know, you end up with a ton of it stuck to the bottom of the bottle. It's kind of gross. So like an idiot, I've never really thought about this other than, oh, maybe I should get one of those blender bottles. And then the other week I decided to throw a couple ice cubes in. Turns out ice cubes act pretty much exactly like those little wire things that are in blender bottles. Do they call them blender bottles or like shaker? Shaker bottles, whatever. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they always give them to you if you go to like a supplement shop. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Okay, well, there you go. So you can put the ice cubes in ice and cubes in. shake things Big up change. more. And I tossed a couple other ideas in there as far as just like spicing up your, your boring protein and water mixture. Because uh, I'm not usually a huge fan of adding a ton of stuff into a smoothie. Because, I mean, we've talked about this. Like, before you know it, your smoothie's a milkshake. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it depends what your your goals and, and obstacles are, right? Some people are trying to add calories, some are not. So yeah, uh, if you just want it to be the protein, then that's a, a good solution. A lot of people are actually surprised you can just do that in a you know water and the protein powder. Yeah, telling you, you know? throw a couple ice cubes in there, game changer. Even better if you can toss a little shot of espresso in. But talk about that and more over in the article. Plus, I list a couple of our favorite ones. Uh, we really like ones that are NSF certified. Uh, And I have a couple other sort of thoughts around when you're looking for a protein powder that I've dropped in there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's all at consummateathlete.com. And we have a lot of really cool articles that I'm super excited about coming up in the next few weeks. So everyone should maybe bookmark that page or at least make sure you're following us on Instagram. That's at consummateathlete. And I'm always posting what articles are up. So you can kind of keep track of what's going up on the site over there. Very good. I think I've actually written one or two, I guess, in the last couple of weeks. Have, so trying yes. to contribute there, keep up with you. Uh, that's not, illusion not happening, battle, but, but there you go. We got to aim for the stars, set your goals. Okay. So today we have a sort of listener question, a compilation thereof. Uh, and this one's around sort of discomfort not being the enemy, or I, I phrased this before in a previous post that we'll link to called putting your hand in the fire. Uh, and this is just the idea of you know, we, as endurance athletes especially, but I think anyone who's sort of pushing their limits in athletics, you know, we're going to have to be uncomfortable. And, and that, you know, probably we all nod our heads to that. But, you know, we're not maybe, sometimes this is part of our training goal is to purposefully be uncomfortable so that we can, we're ready for the race, which will inevitably be uncomfortable. I was going to say, if anyone wants to just kind of pause here and think back to any race that they're particularly proud of, any result, and it could just be finishing a race, it could be winning a race, whatever that looks like for you. If you think about that race, there's almost no chance that that race just felt amazing from start to finish. And in fact, if it did feel just fabulous from start to finish, you just floated through it, you probably finished and thought, huh, I had a lot left in the tank there. Mm. Like the sign of a, a good race is 
if you do kind of go to that dark place, at least at some point during it, where you're not sure if you're going to be able to push through, if you're not sure if you're going to be able to keep up or make the move or hit that PR or do whatever. Yeah. So the ability to learn how to lean into discomfort in training is what's going to set you up for those moments. Yeah, it's interesting. You've got me thinking about two things. One, I think I'll try and remember. While so, Eddie Merrick said, "You never, it never stops hurting, or it doesn't hurt less. You just go faster." Something to yeah, that effect. Yeah, yeah. I think that was him. And so, I think you know, why did he say that? Right? Because there's obviously this perception, you know, in in the greater you know cycling media or cycling you know people who watch cycling, uh, humanity, you know, that the fit people aren't hurting. The guy winning the race, the woman winning the race, is, is not hurting. Right, and, and often you look composed when you know what you're doing in a mm-hmm. sport. Right, you watch the Tour de France people ride by; uh, they usually look pretty composed. Right, it doesn't look like they're trying, and they're just very efficient at what they do. Right, it's like watching a hundred meter sprinter running, you know, the fastest humans run. Um, you know, they look very graceful while they do it. Right, but they are expending a tremendous amount of energy. Um, so we're, we're getting used to dealing with this discomfort, and indeed, it's not going to go away. Right, so this is why we we want to deal with it. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, when my sister started running this past year and a half now. Uh, the first couple times she ran, I would get occasional texts from her, and she would just be like, is it always going to suck this much? And I basically answered her like Eddie Merckx would have. I was like, yeah, you're just going to get faster at it or I more efficient if, at it. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think it's, uh, you know, that you maybe you become more af- are more targeted like the discomfort goes into more forward motion maybe do you know what i'm saying like it, it still hurts a lot but you're more efficient at hurting in a positive direction whereas maybe when you're learning something like you're not efficient and you're you know your body's aching from like the impact but then eventually the impact isn't as big a deal it's a different discomfort for sure yeah yeah right like you're you don't finish most of your runs and like oh my quads are just like you know whereas when you first do your first run of the year right? You're probably like, you're my, it's my calves, other people, maybe they're quads, uh, you know, and, and you're hurting in that way. But like for you, it might be, you know, it's more that persistent effort, right? It's that trying to keep, as I say, the hand in the fire. Yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely get into the idea of there are different kinds of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And right? pain. We could call this pain too, right? We're sort of saying discomfort instead of saying pain, I guess. Um, well, I think that's because we are not necessarily going for pain. I would say, there are very few circumstances in training where we want to lean into pain, but we do want to lean into discomfort. And for sure, that's a super fine line. And I think before we go any further, we'll mention there are kind of two types of people here, right? There's the people who shy away from the discomfort and that's, you know, they're, they're pulling their pace back. They're dialing it back. They're coming back to what feels comfortable. And then there's the people who are just going so far past their discomfort that they're going into pain. And that's where you're getting sort of chronic stress fractures and overtraining and, you know, all of the things that go with that. So right, right. there's definitely a big spectrum here. And where we want to find is this place in the uncomfortable, but not painful middle. And, and there might even be, there's no right or wrong answer here. I think there's probably the, some people who are turning, it's sort of what you're trying to get out of your sport, right? Um, there's some people who are turning to the sport, you know, to try and for some reason, you know, hurt themselves, you know, feel pain, feel something, right? Which is a, you know, probably need to look into some therapy and and stuff as well if that gets too extreme, right? For sure. Um, We definitely kind of joke about a lot of people are running away 
they're running away we do yeah and i think probably i know one or two of these you know ultra endurance people who are very good but have said even like you know that's what fuels them is you know dark thoughts and stuff right so um you know we actually had uh i'm gonna butch i think dylan bowman on from he's a north face runner and he called his like 2019 his revenge tour right which i love yeah so there's a fine line there and you know get help please if you need it um but that's, you know, there's some people that were maybe going too far down that road, right? It's a, a slippery stove, you know. Um, the other side, though, there's probably people that have enough discomfort in their life, you know, the circumstances they're in, where the, the, their exercise, they want it to be pleasurable, we'll say, right? They don't want to feel discomfort. Um, you know, some of the episodes I did with Steve Neal, we talked a bit about this, where that's why that tempo zone, that endurance zone, are, are probably what you're going to get out of people a lot of times. He, he uses a bit of VO2 there and tries to just get like periodic, something like a 30-30, right? Where you're sort of trying to get the work in, but there's not a lot of burn to it. Uh, and you can sort of trick people into it. But you got to be really careful with how much we're doing of the intensity or trying to do intensity. Because some people just don't have the capacity at this time to do it, right? So, And that's fine too, right? I was going to say, not, and that's, that's completely that's reasonable. The, you know, but you, you need to know that about yourself or it's very helpful to know that about yourself and understand that this, okay, might not be your year for your race goals then. Mm-hmm. And because- just be careful. You know, Steven Seiler was on talking about that uh, myth of no pain, no gain, right? Which is sort of the same language that I just mentioned with Steve. And again, some of us, when we're trying to start exercising or keep exercising, it would actually be better if we kept it in that nice aerobic endurance zone and not push into that like chronic endurance, hard endurance, you know, you know, everyone's on the top of zone two, uh, where you're sort of riding hard for, you know, an hour or two Mm -hmm. uh, to try and get it the best workout you can. Right. And the argument is that if we keep it more in that pleasurable range, you'll probably come back again soon. Right. And we're going to get all the aerobic benefits and stuff that we know that comes from that. What about like even just edging into discomfort, I think, is is a possibility. I think some people might see this headline and be a little bit freaked out about the idea of being in the pain cave for, you know, 45 minutes. Mm. But I think there's plenty of room for those strides, fartleks, just the things that are touching on getting into that discomfort arena and then backing off. If you're in that, I don't want discomfort, I have no room for discomfort in my life space. Yeah, and that might not even be a, a discomfort as much as just training speed. And, you know, that's a big part of your coach, David's philosophy is just these periodic, you know, lots of endurance, really, and then lots of the quality strides where we're working on the neuromuscular component, right? I find them uncomfortable. Yeah, and I mean, probably in the moment, I, I think you're right, that's a way to edge in if someone's not, you know, and start with that pointy end and stick. And you could always lengthen those out right into intervals of some type, right? You could do, you know, again, 30, 30, 60, you know, seconds on, 60 seconds off, something like that, eventually shorten the recoveries versus doing six strides in an hour run or something, right? Uh, I think that's that's a great way to go about it. Uh, okay, so we have, that's sort of the issue, right? We have this, for the people who will want to get better at a sporting pursuit, right? Again, we're, we're in the middle there, maybe between those, you know, the people who have a lot going on in life or the people who are sort of running away from life, you know, again, be careful, um, get through what you got to get through. We have, you know, we're going to compete at something. We're trying to get better at a cross-country mountain race, a cyclocross race, a running, you know, 50K. And there's going to be these critical moments in the race where it's going to get really hard, right? And so I always think about, well, what are the critical moments we need to prepare for, right? So cyclocross or mountain biking, it's going to be a hard first lap. You know, totally, you got to yeah. start, got to get clipped in, and then you need to be going really fast. Yeah, yeah. 
And then for me, I think back to my my old Rutgers cycling team. I remember before my first ever road race, riding just one of the Sunday centuries with the guys, and one guy was just kind of giving me advice. And I forget almost everything else he said, but he told me as as the other riders were going up the hill away from me, he was like, in a race, if the, if the pack goes, you do everything you can. You burn every match that you have to stay in the pack and not get dropped off the pack because it's going to be much easier like once they've settled back in. But you have to endure that discomfort for just a short amount of time to mm-hmm. save yourself so much energy later. Yeah, And it was the best thing anyone's told me about racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you do that very well. You stick into the group, right? And it's sort yes, of this out of every single corner in a crit, even. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of this this assumption that we're making that even though our brain's saying you'll never finish this ride because it's so hard right now at this time, um, we know logically if we can keep telling ourselves this and experiencing it enough that everyone's hurting probably on the climb, and they're not going to keep going that hard once it levels out and you'll be able to draft again and hop in, right? So the assumption we're making is that you can get through the climb, put all your effort in as if it's the finish line sprint, and then you'll be able to recover in the group. And again, your perception will change once the, the group backs off, right? And that that often works out. I mean, there's probably only so many times you can do that, right? Um, I call that going all in. And for a lot of people in group rides, it's actually can be a game changer assuming there's you know there's a requisite amount of fitness but once you know that that's the game you know you just learn to dangle enough and sag the climb and get back over the climb in the group and then you can recover and sit in and draft mm-hmm. okay so there's that uh so again we're comparing so i think knowing what your critical moment is are you a group rider again getting ready are you like molly trying to survive a crit you know, or an attack in a road race or something, or I think in a, you know, again, a 50k with some of these shorter ultra distance runs, you know, the pacing is very important. It's very individual, but there's going to be moments like that last climb or when the sun's beating down on you and you're trying to climb up that hill and, you know, you're right at the limit, whatever the limit is for that race, where it's just, you know, your brain is saying stop. Yeah. And I mean, I'll admit I've definitely, gone with the more comfortable and especially in my early 50ks and I'm still not a super like I haven't been doing this for that long so it's not like I have that many races under my belt and I would say I'm still kicking myself for the one north face race I did where in 5k and a girl passed me and or a woman passed me rather and I didn't respond because I was we were starting up a hill and I was just like nope it's too early for me to to push my pace at all. I'm just running my own race. And to some extent, that's a smart move. But I'm pretty sure in retrospect, when I look back at it, it was definitely more just me being afraid of going into any kind of discomfort zone that especially that early. Well, and and maybe okay for your first couple too. Um, Yeah, you did want to finish. I did. But But, I think but at that moment, would you have said if someone was like, you need to go right here? Well, she won by several minutes, so yes, that was the move. Right. And so, I think so if I that could have was gone. the goal, I guess, then to finish in first, then I guess you you need to make that decision. Because um, at some point, you're going to have to close the gap, right? So you might make the assumption that they're going to fade and you're going to keep going. But I think that assumption, you know, that, that sort of pacing into it, I think what sometimes gets missed in the pacing thing is that you do need to keep on the pace or start accelerating at some point. 
Uh, and that's often when it's getting really hard, right? So it's everyone can go hard for the first five minutes or hour of a four hour or five hour event, especially, but it's that, can you still be there? Right. I think I should have tried. Like, I think that would have been the thing. And if I couldn't hold it in a kilometer, then sure back off. But I didn't even try. Hmm. I made no effort to speed up. And I think it was because I was afraid of getting into an uncomfortable feeling that early in a race and having any moment of discomfort. Hmm. And I think now I would have got like, now I would go. It's very tricky, especially in running, right? Like you're not, it's harder to say that you're going to draft, uh, you know, on, on the, the flat yeah, parts. But right? once they're out of sight, they're nine out of 10 times, I'd say gone. Yeah, it could be. Um, I think, again, if you're not going to accelerate with them as they go by you, then you need to know that like you have to tick away at that pace or faster than what you're doing over the long haul, right? So you might pull them back over the last 10 or 20K in a 50K race. Right. But yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky how to know. So I think, you know, if you finish that race, then you would say, okay, I need to be more prepared that on climbs, I need to go, you know, a little, can I hold this, this extra pace? Can I be faster on this? Uh, get used to, you know, breathing a bit more, right? So you might just go and do, you know, a set of longer intervals, right? I don't know. Do you, do you have intervals that you would do that are sort of like this? Yeah. I mean, I have plenty of health stuff I could work on. It's, it's one of my main workouts, I would say. But I think for me, it's the that was more of a mental thing. It wasn't even a physical, like, oh, I can't do it. It was a mental, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's too early to, to push anything. But I completely forgot everything I learned about road racing, which I realize is not the exact same thing as ultra trail running. Right. But if you want to win, y- you got to try. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. Anyway, um, we, we actually, this kind of gets into the, the couple different types of discomfort that we're talking about, right? We have your more obvious discomfort of your muscles, right? Your quads are burning, your hammies are burning, your calves are burning, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever muscles being sort of worked. Then you have the more aerobic fatigues, your whole body feels exhausted, sort of more like you'd be feeling at the end of an Ironman or something. And then there is the more mental discomfort where you're not sure if you can go with someone or you, you don't want to put yourself into that discomfort because you know it's coming and you like can sense that it's it, you're on the cusp of it. And if you go a little bit further, it's going to get real uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what people talk about when they say 100 milers or 100 Ks are you know, 80% mental, especially after the first half. So I think those are sort of the three different kind of discomforts. And I think your first thing is probably thinking through which one you're the least good at dealing with. Well, or which one is most common for you, right? Yeah. Sometimes that's a good question to ask. You know, what do you feel, you know, in, in those critical moments or, or when you failed or, or when you've succeeded? What was, you know, what was the limiter? What mm-hmm. did you feel? Um, and I don't know that you'd go necessarily after, oh, you know, I was muscular. I need to start training muscular type things, but you might. You know, you might try and target that so that you feel that in a workout, right? And maybe you're training that. Uh, And I don't even know if that's scientific, right? Again, this is sort of just feeling that. Like, how could we feel our quads in a race? Or, sorry, in in our training, right? How could we feel that same feeling? Um, The one thing you didn't touch on is the the breathing is sort of often part of that perceived exertion, right? And this is a lot of this perceived exertion, something that in the book Endure, 
which is Alex Hutchinson. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which we had, we'll link to that episode, but a great book if you want to understand more and certainly on a deeper level than we're describing today, this idea of, of central fatigue and the idea of fatigue and, and this idea of enduring. Can you persist for a longer time, right? And they do all sorts of, he talks about different studies where they put people's hands in hot water and how long can you hold it in this hot water? Um, which again is related to that idea of where I, I was more violent and we're putting our hand in actual fire. Uh, but that's the idea, right? Our endurance is how long can we go, keep going, keep going, keep going without stopping or backing off the pace or, right? Mm-hmm. In your case, it was, you know, can you stay on the, the lead pace versus falling off, right? Yeah. So so that episode in that book is really good to understand this idea of fatigue, especially the central fatigue where the brain is slowing us down for whatever reason, right? And, and I, my big conclusion from that was that we can train this, right? They said you could train people to keep their hand in the water longer. Now they said it didn't really transfer. Like you can't put your hand in water and then also then ride right. your bike for longer. Don't go like put your hand in your hot tub or something. But if you're uncomfortable on your bike and, and you want to back off, you say, oh, I'm sucking at my intervals today. So I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do the last one. Then the idea is like, could we focus on the feeling, forget about the watts and the time for that day and just feel through that, right? We can pay attention to the power and the performance, and improve that over a bunch of weeks, but maybe we need to just edge ourselves on. And you said, just, can we do a little bit more edge into this? It might be like, can I hold on to that uncomfortable pace where my breathing and I feel like I'm breathing too much for another 10 seconds or another 10 meters up that hill that we do intervals on every week. Right. And that was the big, I think, conclusion for me from that book or one of the couple, uh, was that, you know, we can focus on the feeling of our intervals and our workouts and then that will transfer very much to race day if I think we have an eye to what are the critical moments in the race. Yeah. And you've said this a billion times on the podcast and just in our conversations is if someone has a workout with, say, like 10, 10 intervals, finishing 10 intervals where the last two suck is way better than finishing eight intervals and then just not doing the last two because you think they're going to suck. It's probably a balance there but yes the you know steven seiler in that one of the episodes he was on talks a lot about accumulating minutes right and that is our goal so there's lots of ways we can cut that up some days it's probably better to go home but a lot of times yeah it's okay to fade a little bit and then our goal just like weightlifting sometimes i talk about you know we have five sets of five is the classic sort of weightlifting you know one of the you know we do five sets of five repetitions but often what happens is like i'm fading i can't lift the weight i actually drop the barbell on you know sets you said 10 10 sets but say we're doing five sets here just to keep it five sets of five so on the fourth set i can only do four you know in weightlifting that would be completely normal so you did five 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 four and then the last set you're like oh i only do three maybe and then they might even just throw in a set of two or one to finish they just added a sixth set of two right and so we get similar reps and then what would we do the next week or the next workout we'd try and hit five by five at that weight maybe, right? And then that would be our progress. So it's hard to get people to, to do that in endurance training where we do four sets of eight is the classic Steven Seiler. So right on the limit, just over that threshold, right? So this is our polarized training, really uncomfortable. Um, great set. And it's just long enough that it's uncomfortable, not too long that it's excessive. Accumulating those eight minutes. But maybe... You're getting tired on the, the fourth one, right? And that's the one that we're trying to persist on. So you might back off the wattage and finish the eight minutes. You might do six minutes and then add a two minute or a four minute or another six. 
those are all good solutions, right? You can be a little more fluid with it. But the idea is that you're accumulating minutes of discomfort, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. And then come back next week. The key with all those studies and where the 4 by 8 came from was that it was over many weeks right. that you practiced those sets, right? It's not one workout. Yeah. Right? You almost need the one workout to say, I failed the fourth interval so that I can come back next week and do a bit better. Yeah. And on the note of failing, so this is something I talk about whenever I'm teaching yoga. Uh, you know, every time we're in, say, pigeon pose or something, I'm always asking oh, people. Discomfort. I'm always saying. A pigeon pose. First of all, I'm always saying we want a little discomfort. That's fine. We don't want pain. So if we're in pain, we need to back it off and find that spot where maybe it's a little uncomfortable because we're stretching a little bit more than is, you know, natural for us at the moment, but we don't want it to be painful. So that's, that's part one. But then part two, I would say that people get really stressed about the weirdest thing with yoga is you have people that are like, Oh, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. However, the way to get flexible is by stretching and doing yoga. Right. So it's always kind of a funny thing. But at any rate, there's no right or wrong in yoga. There's no, there's no you're doing it poorly or you're not flexible, so you're doing it badly. But I always say, especially when we're talking about right to left side, I'm always saying, think about is one side tighter than the other? And I always say, it's not a bad thing. It's just interesting. Like mm. Get curious about why one side might be tighter than the other, how you stand normally just get interested in that discomfort so i think a lot of the time people don't get interested or curious about that why that last interval is really exhausting and don't even really think is it is it a mental thing right now am i physically tired did i not drink enough did i not eat enough is this muscularly tense you're almost talking about body scanning right would be the meditative way of looking at that is you know what is my what are my hips what are my quads saying can i adjust a posture can i breathe deeper you know am i hyperventilating and getting almost panicked exactly yeah because this is hurting and can i you know sit in the fire leave the hand in fire breathe deeply be present with the pain well i think it's if we can detach from the discomfort and look at it with curiosity versus looking at it as oh no it's it's uncomfortable Ah!" so so your suggestion might be to even start with this idea of discomfort in something like yoga where you're not going to fall off your bicycle or, or something like that, or you're trying to coordinate wattage and pedaling and, or running or whatever, right? Uh, maybe that would be like a static posture, you know, where you could give an awareness to this. What is the posture? What is the breathing? What is the mindset? Am I saying I'm going to fail this and I hate yoga? Can I shift that self-talk? Exactly. Yeah. Right. These are all things, you know, that the breathing I think is a, a big gateway into this, not in the kooky way. I feel like we've all gone a little far on the breathing right now, but um, you know what? In college, I was at just a college gym yoga class taught by someone who probably had no yoga training. And I remember she said, anytime you're in an uncomfortable spot or something feels uncomfortable, like if it's a tight hip or whatever, breathe into that tight hip. And it's such a garbage throwaway line, but it works so well. Mm-hmm. And if you can kind of teach yourself to do that, it's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. The self-talk's a big piece. I think that's also covered in endurance in a few different places. We've we've talked a bit about this. We have a, another post called The Things You Say to Yourself or something like that. Yes, and we also just had mental performance consultant Amy Bell on. Oh, uh, great. And she and I talk a ton about both self-talk, but more importantly, self-awareness. Uh, so 
you can't really fix your self-talk until you become aware of your self-talk. So I think a lot of us, you might be listening to this and just now sort of thinking through why it is that you pull the plug on that last interval. And it could be that you haven't even really thought too hard about how your self-talk is changing, how you're viewing your discomfort or even what you're saying, because you're Mm -hmm. just not aware of it. It's sort of sitting in this space between your conscious and your subconscious. Right. Uh, But tuning into it, becoming aware of your self-talk is the first step to fixing your self-talk, because most of us go through the day without actually thinking about how we think about ourselves. It's very meta. And maybe not even fixing, but learning to... What am I focused on? What am I refocusing on when, mm-hmm. when those thoughts, hey, stop, you suck. And then it's like, no, I'm going to continue for another 50 meters and, and reassess. I'm going to, you know, keep going, pedal, relax your shoulders. You know, and, and it's interesting, like I've been doing this for a long time, this like deep breathe before we come into the technical section. We've just been going maximally up a climb. There's four people, you know, right on top of me, you know, or right behind me, I should say, but racing right with me. It gets really, really stressful and hectic. And then you have to go down something technical, right? And I can feel it like this. It's like, is that pins and needles or like the, what's that called? Like, like you breathe deep and it's like, I don't know. Like I can almost trigger it. Like, yeah, it's like weird. It's, I don't even know how to describe it, but you know, I don't know if you know what I mean, but I like, think I know what you mean. like I do this sort of like yoga breath. Usually we're starting to stand up and get ready for the descent. And I almost do like a cat camel, like deep breath. If I, if I have a little bit of space to do this, it might not be an elaborate, but like roll my back a bit. Cat cow. Sure and uh you know and just be ready and relaxed right and so i think sometimes there's a scanning that goes through in this routine that just it it comes from practicing it right so when we're thinking about our intervals are they similar to those critical moments in the race so a lot of my intervals are up something that's you know these days it's a fairly you know gravel road type climb uh and then into something technical to quote unquote recover right and that's i do that once a week at least uh, so again, thinking about that, what is the critical moment, right? For someone else, it might be a really long climb or a really long effort. They have to get to about an hour to start feeling, you know, that, that same burn they might feel at hour five or something. Right. I think on the note of self-talk, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is it's difficult to go from negative to positive for sure. So I think a stepping stone is, can you go from negative to neutral even? What Just, do you mean by that? I mean, coming to a spot where you're not necessarily telling yourself, you've got this, you're awesome, you're the best, because you might not believe that. And if your self-talk isn't believable, it's not really going to work. Mm-hmm. But the neutral would probably be more in line with just just keep pedaling, just keep trying. Well, or see, especially in a workout, like see, see what happening. I can do today. Yeah. And then let's crunch the numbers when we get back. If you have a coach, you know, what do you think of this? What should I change next week? Was this good enough? Probably they'll say it's good enough. I, a lot of times when people are like, this sucked, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that was in the range we would have expected. Like, again, it doesn't have to be a personal best, right? Often it's, this wasn't my best effort of my life. Sucks. Sucks. Right. I had a question this past week, you know, how do I get better at this? You know, they had done one 10 minute TT, just a local hill, like a Strava segment. They had a great effort. And then, oh, I want to, you know, it wasn't high enough. Best effort ever uh, for that duration. I was like, well, you need to train that. So you need to do that like four times, you know, that same effort, but like, you know, down 10% and then do it four times, right? That's interval training versus one Strava attempt, right? That's not training. That's a Strava attempt. Uh, Again, because we're accumulating these minutes, right? That's what Steven Seiler said. He said, four by eights, go do your four by eights, right? Practice 
just under that race pace, still very uncomfortable, but accumulating that experience with your hand in the red zone or your hand in the red zone or you're in the red zone, your hands in the fire, but not like the middle of the fire, right? It's not just right in there and burning yourself and then you're done. That would be one Strava attempt. Right, right. One by eight. My best one by eight. And then I, oh, I'm just blown up. Got to go home. Right. Which is a way with Right. And what does that turn into? That turns into, you know, the person that passed you in the 50K and then you never saw again because they dropped out at 10K in. Right. Would have been better if that happened. But and and alas. lots of, you know, in the gravel race we just did, it's a lot of this, especially, you know, I think this is one of the scenarios where you could end up with that. I, I didn't feel like I went hard enough at the finish line. It's often because they went too hard early and then had to back off. Your body forces you to, your brain forces you to. So the last portion of that race, they're not emptying the tank because they have nothing to give. So right. they've really just phoned it in. And again, we come unraveled. We, you know, we sort of roll into the line and, and sort of just ease to finish the race. And so a lot of times the perceived exertion for the, the event, the session, is actually low because you finished the session well below, right? You're very, you've expended a bunch of energy, but it was all early. So you sort of forget, but then you underperform. So I think sometimes that's the way. The, the reason that that happens but that that sorry i sort of got on a tangent there but the the idea is that if you only do that strava attempt that one by eight and you don't practice pacing an uncomfortable pace i don't think you can do it in the race mm-hmm. so you're always going to be that person who starts way too hard and doesn't finish at the best pace they could and that's across disciplines that's cyclocross that's mountain bike cross country, which are, again are, are very fast starts, but at some point the leaders just keep going right. pretty much at that pace. But certainly as we get into those three, four, five, 12 hour events, there's just pacing as a thing. Yeah. And so we were talking about this before we started recording though, if you're training for an Ironman or a hundred miler or a hundred K or whatever, whatever long, long event you're doing, uh, we were kind of debating how to, how to train discomfort for those because the discomfort you feel at the end of an Ironman is not necessarily, I mean, it's, it's all of the fatigues. Right. So how do you get to that point? Well, I asked you that question. I was like, I don't know. I feel like people are just going to have to go and do 12 hours. I think I had some great ideas. So. (laughs) Okay. Are you going to share them? Maybe. (laughs) Uh, Super top secret. Uh, Well, so what we, what we kind of came up with is this idea of even even endurance athletes, even ultra athletes need to go hard sometimes because there aren't that many of us, definitely not anyone who's working a normal job, who can do these 12-hour sessions every week, and it would be very ill-advised to do so. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that would challenge consistency either in the short term or in the long term, right? These yeah. are people that, you know, in your 100-mile world, you hear about these big mileage things, and then we lose those people in a couple of years usually. There's there's always going to be the outlier people, right? But like, we're not basing you know, our, our, our normal working person's schedule off of, you know, the Michael Jordans of our sport, we'll say, yeah. right? Not so, to name names in our, in our disciplines. Yeah. So we're thinking about how can we get that same feeling of tired? So what that generally comes down to is going shorter, but harder. So my thought had been, if I was training again for Ironman, and I think I did this even a few times, would be doing that three to four hour bike ride, throwing in some longer sustained intervals. No, no, you know, two minutes or anything more in the 20 minute, 40 minute, maybe some tempo, maybe a little bit of threshold. Just there's lots of tricks. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing it up. So that way when I finish that ride, I'm tired and then I'm doing a brick workout there. So immediately transitioning into the run and doing a run at 
we'll say half marathon pace, maybe, maybe even 10 K pace for a few minutes, that kind of thing, just really going to get that same fatigued feeling. And you're coming off the bike with heavy legs. You're doing the, the brick, you're going into the run. You're going to have that fatigue in your legs. As you hit your run, you're maybe going out a little hard on the run compared to what you want to do in Ironman. And I think that's going to give you a pretty good, can you push through that discomfort and hit your 30 minutes of the run or however long you want to do. Yeah. I think, uh, so the other idea we talked about then would be intervals also, I think are going to be a part of that. I think this, the speed, the four by eights, we will just stick with that idea. I admit I was so bitter when I realized that switching to ultra did not mean I got <laughs> to skip intervals. I was so yeah. pissed. Yeah. And that's often the case, right? So the unbound winner, Ian Boswell, he, you know, didn't do a ton of volume, right? He, he was, you know, probably had some base training in the winter, like any, uh, you know, a leader pro person would probably have, you know, into the 20 hours, but it didn't, it wasn't extreme. This, it wasn't these like, you know, 400 or sorry, 40 hour weeks or something. Right. Uh, it certainly wasn't a 200 mile ride. And then uh, it leading it, like the bulk of the season was not overly high, right? Again, high relative to maybe your eight hour, you know, working normal person, but for someone who did back to back five hour, uh, gravel centuries, you know, he did 10 hours for this 200 mile race in the heat with like some climbing. It was not flat. Right. Whereas most people to do five hours for one century on pavement that's flat is quite fast. So all that to say, you know, the volume is a piece and there's probably a requisite amount, but, you know, it wasn't the only thing. And for him, it was a lot of those intervals. Right. Uh, especially at the speed he's moving. It's important. Yeah, for right? sure. But it's hard to then say, OK, well, but everyone else who's going slower needs to lo- ride longer than this person. Right. It doesn't it might make sense on some level, but I don't know if that's logical. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. all that to say, you got to go hard sometimes. Yeah. I, I, so the other, so we had intervals. You said, okay, maybe we could do a bit of simulation where we've built some fatigue and then, you know, maybe you go running. If, if you're a multi-sport athlete, maybe you run on some tired legs. I think you probably get different uh, theories with that, but I think that could work in, in places, right? That That's going to give you a bit of a feeling, especially just the transition, right? Joe Friel was big on that idea of just even 2Ks where you just feel the first 2Ks sort of suck when you switch from biking to running and you don't get, it takes a while to get coordinated. And you did that a lot. A lot of those. Yeah. And he was like, you probably don't want to run on tired legs a lot because you're going to lose some of that speed and feeling and just even risk going over on an ankle or injuring yourself. Right. Uh, I think that was good, but I think, you know, the odd brick is a fine idea. I think that's very common. Uh, the other thing is just how else can we make this uncomfortable? I think in the endure book, they talk about a little bit, maybe embracing the idea. It's been a long day at work. And then maybe you go for a ride, right? Some of us, I know I would certainly just, no, nope, it's gonna, it's not going to be a good ride. I'm not going to go. But that mental fatigue, you've actually burnt all your mental fatigue at work all day and making decisions. And now you're going to go out and ride. And it doesn't have to be an extreme ride, but you don't really want to go. So you want to stop, which sounds a lot like enduring, right? And yeah. so this is idea that we build the mental fatigue and then we go for the workout sometimes, not every day. And then that can build a bit of this ability to endure and keep our hand in the fire when we want to pull it out and just go home and, you know, have dinner and watch TV. Yeah. And the other okay. thing we were thinking about is even in the heat, right? In the summer, a lot of people will wake up early and get their ride in or run in. Avoid discomfort. Yep. Right. But sometimes, I mean, if you have a hot race, you're going to need to learn how to deal with that discomfort on race day. So doing some of your runs, again, not all of them, uh, and edging into it, everyone, everyone be safe if you're sensitive to heat, like yeah. be careful. But 
that's the idea. You could wear sun sleeves. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. Bringing it back. So uh, I think that, but that's interesting because there's the the benefit of, of heat, right? I think that's going to benefit you even if your race isn't hot. I think that's been shown, right? If your race is at altitude, the heat's going to help. Uh, I think the heat's going to help even if your race isn't hot. There's a lot of these adaptations we're going to have, but you're talking about just it feels crummy. Yeah, it sucks. Your power and- is going to be lower. Your heart rate's going to be higher, likely, right? Yep. And so you're going to have to deal with that mental anguish of like, this is not, you know, those those 150 watts or those 200 watts that I usually push, right? My heart mm-hmm. rate's so high, I can't even stay in my zone two and I suck, right? And so you've just created a situation where you're going to endure and self-talk your way through this hot day. Yep, yeah, that's why every so often I'll get up and run with my early run crew, even though mm-hmm. I hate getting up early and running. Okay. But I do because I know a lot of races start, start early, early yeah. so. okay. And you're tired, and you don't you want to go back to bed. Yes, I do. Okay, just want to snuggle with DW. That's all I want. Okay, so that's that's the idea. So sometimes it's just even breaking the routine, the normal, the comfort of normal, right? Might be might be a piece of that, but certainly the heat. You know, I think altitude's probably a piece of that too. Um, and it's none of this stuff is excessive, right? We always want to stay with this idea of like maintaining consistency. Are we getting lots of our easy endurance? Again, the myth of uh, no pain, no gain. So it's not. You know, it's sort of counter in some ways, but we're periodically, again, we're going to do our fast intervals, our speed work, where we're practicing putting our hand into the fire, staying in the fire, staying in the red zone. And but if you're not recovering enough, you can't get into that right, zone. Right. So it's not every day. That's the trick, right? And that's as the people we we're saying who are very good at hurting on the bicycle and are, are chasing that, often it becomes an everyday thing, right? Which is where we get into that all, you know, the no pain, no gain. So they end up in that very flatlined sort of middle ground mm-hmm. of it We lose kind a of lot hurts. of that aerobic, you know, if we did our math test, if we did a, an aerobic test, you know, they wouldn't have, their heart rate would tend to be high, the pace relatively low. These could be very fit people, right? But we're just always getting into that, just touching those, like we could call them anaerobic zones, right? Or that central nervous system fatigue is just building, right? And this, this is the gray zone. This is the, you know, no man's land, the... Yeah. I would call them junk miles. It's not necessarily what most people would call junk miles, but. Yeah. And then I think the last thing we maybe want to just quickly touch on is that for some people, the rest itself, the taking time off to recover, that can actually be the discomfort that they're afraid of leaning into. So, you know, for a lot of people, the discomfort is going to come from that extra rest day that maybe was even unscheduled, but they realize they need because they're super fatigued or discomfort in taking a week off to let a, a little niggling injury sort of resolve itself before it becomes a huge thing. Or, and that or, can be so uncomfortable for so many and, of and us. And I would say the, the next level is taking a rest week when you're not injured or sick. True. Right. This is the next level. Right, is the check mark is, oh yeah, I took an off day, but you know because I had a niggle, right? But can we take an off day or an off week or an off month, an off season, a vacation, when we're in good shape, right? And this is if you can think about your your form, your fitness, your um, Dan Cleather calls this, you know, the adaptive capacity. So if you've trained a ton really consistently for a while, your adaptive capacity is like very low, right? Versus a beginner has a lot of capacity to adapt, right? It's sort of a complicated thing as much as it's simple. But if we take recovery, then we start filling our battery, our adaptive capacity increases, right? But if we've already drilled ourselves into the ground, so to speak, and our adaptive capacity is, is you know very minimal, when we're taking that time off to recover, 
I think you could surmise that we're maybe not building ourselves back up as much as we would be. We're sort of just recovering that injury sort of, maybe we get back to like zero if we are, if we're lucky, but do we get up into that compensation where we're getting fitter, we're getting more adaptive capacity, we're getting ready to do more work. And so that was actually, I found in my career, that was a big mistake. And this is very common. I think, I don't think I'm the only one, but certainly I've made that mistake of, you know, you feel okay, you got the time, you keep training, you keep training on the limit, on the limit, on the limit. But it's very hard to not do the training for a while, right? And again, let yourself build up. And that might be build up the reserves, build up the ability to just the motivation, right? If Mm -hmm. not also the body, the physiology. Yeah. All right. What do you think? Is that a good, good spot to end? Or did you have any other closing thoughts on discomfort? I think we covered a lot of it. Yeah. I would say if anyone's curious about this idea, I think Endure is probably your, your best bet. You, you would really enjoy that book. Yes. And we will link to that podcast we had with Alex Hutchinson in the show notes, as well as to the actual book itself and to all of the other posts that we've mentioned here. This is a post heavy podcast here. So definitely head over to consummateathlete.com to check the show notes. And as always, you know, hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating or a review. It means a ton to us. Peter, you have not complained about the dog enough. We got one lovely review that mentioned they were very excited for us to get a dog and for Peter to complain constantly about it. So you're, you're not really fulfilling your end of the bargain. Okay. Well, I endeavor to do better for that particular review E <laughs> reviewer. I don't know. DW has been a pretty excellent podcast co-host right now. He's just sleeping between the microphones. Right. So we're doing, we're doing great with that, but your ratings and reviews will help me get a second dachshund. So please keep them coming. And of course, head over to at consummate athlete on Instagram or uh, consummateathlete.com to ask us any questions. If you have a topic you want us to cover, thank you so much. And we will see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.